Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with acclaimed New York City trumpeter and the Director of Jazz Studies and Chair of Instrumental Studies at Temple University, Terrell Stafford. We discuss his exciting upcoming one-night-only classical jazz concert April 16th at Jazz at Lincoln Center with orchestral premieres by Billy Childs and Bill Cunliffe. Hailed as one of today's leading jazz student ensembles, Temple University Jazz Band will be joined on stage by its sister groups as well as its faculty sextet, Terrell Stafford, Dick Oates, Bruce Barth, Tim Warfield, Mike Boone, and the great Justin Faulkner. We cover the show, the return to live music in our post-COVID world, connections to Bobby Watson in Kansas City, along with so much more from his very interesting and rich world. Enjoy this interview. Hi, Joe. How are you? Hey, man. It's an honor and a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for taking a minute out to the program. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. So I've seen you on the radar quite a bit in KC. You got good memories here? I do, man, I do. My mentor is living there now, so he gave me my first break in New York, and so I, and if he calls me and needs me there, I'm, I'm there for him in a second, Bobby Watson. The immeasurable good and uh, futures that he has created in this town that's gone all around the world is amazing. I saw the homecoming of Herman Mahari at the Folly a couple weeks ago, which was one of his protégés. And that was one of the best feelings I've ever had at a live show. All these cats that had played with him, saw him move on to Paris, saw him come back. It was just, and I couldn't get it out of my head how much and how many times Bobby has done that for so many people around the world to play jazz. It's amazing, man. It's amazing. Well, in speaking of amazing... You have mm-hmm. an amazing event that's coming up, and, and, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that and what's going on. So l- let's head into that. What you're doing is quite magnanimous. Yes. You know, it's, um, it's a dream come true. You know, years and years ago when uh, I was a classical major and working on my, my degrees in classical trumpet, uh, having no idea that I ever play jazz, and then once I started to play jazz and started to travel, uh, always trying to figure out how I could bring the two worlds together since I spent so much time in them. And so now it's just a way to do so, and it's just the opportunities that are allotted uh, to to myself and the students are amazing. You know, and, and, and it seems to me that something like this is, is there's a part of it where we're coming out of this pandemic. We were tied mm-hmm. down for so long. I mean, when I look at the calendar right now and I see March, there's PTSD because that's when everything melted away three years ago. Is there mm-hmm. a part of this project that is a triumphant return to the world saying, look, live music is back. This is it. We're, we're going in. You know, I think that's part of it. You know, um, the funny thing in, in Philadelphia is, at least at Temple University, when the pandemic hit, as the world shut down for March and April, um, and we were all in shock through the summer thinking it would just be a month that we'd be out, you know. Uh, when the fall came, we went back, we came back at Temple and met in person through the whole pandemic. You know, we were socially distant and, uh, and we still played, you know, the, the, the large ensembles or split into smaller ensembles, but we were still together. And uh, we recorded, you know, CDs over the pandemic, you know, sending out boxes to make it happen. So, you know, we worked really hard to stay together, uh, but we couldn't we couldn't come together as a large group like we have now. 
So this is a celebration for this particular configuration of a group to finally be able to come together in a space. This is our first time back at the studio orchestra with the orchestra and jazz band. And, you know, it's the um, this commission that, that has been written by Billy Childs and Bill Cummins. It's just been extraordinary. So the the big night is April 16th, and I always hear when anybody has a big outfit, how much, how many moving parts go into it that the crowd and the public don't realize. This, talk to me a little bit about, you know, from inception going to April 16th, like how do you get this many people with so many moving parts with such a magnanimous scope to get that all to come together? How much work does that take on a regular basis to get to that point? Well, it's, it's, it's really unbelievable. I mean, you know, first of all, finding a writer that will get, write for this size ensemble um, is, is the first thing. And before the pandemic, we wanted to work with Billy Childs, but the pandemic hit and, and we knew we couldn't uh, bring this ensemble together. Um, and then, you know, when it looked like we'd be able to start to meet in person again, Billy started to work on this piece called Labyrinth. And it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful piece. I mean, you know, odd meters everywhere, but, you know. Um, so we've been preparing for that and working with him, making some changes, you know, getting some updates on instrumentation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's been great. So, you know, I work with the big band separately and our, our maestro, Jose Luis Dominguez works with the orchestra, and then we had a reading a couple of weeks ago, and then um, I'm back back to school in a couple of weeks, and then we start rehearsing for our first concert at the Kimmel Center. And then on, on April 16th, we're going to premiere this um, Billy Childs piece, but also Bill Cunliffe uh, wrote a piece as well, because the dean was like, you know, um, the fact we have a faculty sextet that includes myself, Tim Warfield, Bruce Barr, Justin Faulkner, Mike Broon, and Dick Oates. And Dick Oates and I are going to be performing on the Billy Childs piece um, uh, as soloists with the orchestra and big band. But um, the faculty sextet on April 16th are going to be performing a record just we just released entitled Fly With The Wind, a tribute to Philadelphia and its artists. And we're going to perform Fly With the Wind the night of April 16th, which was a composition written by McCoy Tyner. And then the dean was like, hey, since the faculty sextet is there, why don't we do a piece, a commission a piece for orchestra, jazz band, and faculty sextet? Uh, so Bill Cummins like, oh, yeah, I'd love to do that. So he's written this massive piece um, entitled Rainforest, which is just beautiful. Um, and that we're going to do the, the faculty sextet. Well, perform this piece with um, the orchestra and big band. So so the one thing that you were mentioning, too, during the pandemic about meeting mm -hmm. and all of that, you know, I remember mm -hmm. when this happened, there was a fear that a lot of students and a lot of people in the world of jazz wouldn't be able to make enough money and would move on. But it seems mm -hmm. to me from where I'm coming from, from the side of the microphone, that jazz in 2023 in America is stronger than ever. Not only did these students stay around, there's a strength and vitality. So as a veteran in the world of jazz and an educator, what are you mm -hmm. seeing? Oh, I'm, I'm definitely, I mean, I'm seeing, uh, I'm seeing uh, arts presenters that um, had two years of no presenting. Um, and, you know, and I'm seeing listeners that had two to three years of no live performance saying, wow, 
we, it's unbelievable what we've missed. We've taken it for granted, you know, all these, all these years. And so now I see this resurgence of just listeners wanting to hear the music and, and, uh, and performers getting out and wanting to play. Uh, for, for example, right now, I'm in Sarasota, Florida. I'm artistic director. This is my first season as artistic director for the Sarasota Jazz Festival. And, um, you know, so I booked, the, I booked the festival for this year, and now I'm at the festival last night. It was opening night. And my, my jaw hit the ground when I walked into the venue um, for the opening act, which was Christian Sands, and, and the room was just packed, and they're anticipating tonight it just being even more packed through the weekend. And so the folks down here are just so celebratory because they're like, wow, you know, we're, we're filling this venue. The Sarasota was thinking that they wouldn't be able to make it past the pandemic because they had a festival last year that didn't do so well. But this year, people are coming out in droves, and it's unbelievable. You know, it, I think it just plays into that whole idea of music being a healer. I remember back in the day when Dizzy would go with the United Nations and mm -hmm. they would be in war-torn areas and they would stop fighting for that day. There was almost mm -hmm. a level of that, you know, that, that's happening now where people are like, this, this, this kind of thing's amazing. Because I'm feeling that as somebody that goes to these shows. Like that Herman show, what was mm -hmm. going on in there was a level of energy that was off the charts. That's amazing. You know, uh, yeah. I got a quick Bobby story for you, and, and this plays sure. into what you were talking about. So Bobby was doing shows. We had this thing called PlexPod, and they were outdoor shows. And it was distanced, mm -hmm. and you'd flip the hatch on your car. And I remember at one point I had a downbeat shirt on, and I was walking to the concession, and some dude that looked like he should have gone to a Kenny Chesney show stopped me and kind of said, what's downbeat? <laughs> and I thought he was joking with me, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was like, it's kind of the Jazz Bible. It's the magazine. And we start talking. And his daughter's there. Over the pandemic, he was listening to a show coming out of Kansas, a jazz show, never listened to jazz, got hooked, and they came to a Bobby show. Those kinds wow. of things, I think we all kind of reverted back to this auditory place and finding comfort. And jazz was a comfort for people during that time. Mm -hmm. It was. It really was. You know, I, right when the, when the pandemic happened, and we were also like, you know, just shocked. I remember uh, Lorraine Gordon from the Village Vanguard called, and she says, uh, I need you to do me a favor. And I said, what's that? She goes, will you do a live stream here at the Vanguard? And we want to start live streams in July, and we're not sure how it's going to go. We think we have some camera guys. We think we have the technology, but we just have to make music. And I said, absolutely. And it was the most daunting thing to drive into Manhattan. All the years I've been driving into Manhattan from Jersey, to drive into Manhattan and the tunnel be completely empty. And, and I'm able to find parking, like, anywhere in the city. Um, and, you know, the restaurants were closed, but the Village Vanguard was open. And for the two nights that we played, I've never received so many, you know, emails of thanks and appreciation in my whole career from those two nights in July. Wow. Well, I, I can tell you from this side of things, to, to, to hear mm -hmm. that, that, you know, the stories of exuberance and these mm -hmm. shows, it's amazing. I remember, I believe Linton was on 60 Minutes shortly after this happened, and they were mm -hmm. grieving the loss in, in their family, and they were kind of trying to figure out what they were going to do and how everything was going to come together. So it is really good to see all of these albums coming out and the way that people process the pandemic through music, and the fact that we're all here, and we're talking mm -hmm. about it, and we walk through it, and, you know, it's, 
just it, I, I think that's kind of been the testament of jazz from the word go. It's always mm-hmm. been a music that's pulled people together. There's been very deep roots, and it's always grown no matter what's happened. Absolutely. I kind of want to get a little bit to your essence of of who you are as a musician. I've always played you on the show and been fascinated with how you evolve, and you always stay connected not only to the past but to the present. And I'm wondering, Mm -hmm. in this daily walk that you go through as an educator and a recording artist and a live performer, what do you like the best about this process? What gets you up in the morning and moves you through a day? Uh, Well, a lot of things do. Before I forget, thank you for playing my, my music on your show. Um, but you know, I think it's all, I think it's hand in hand. You know, I love, I'm a practicer. So regardless of what happens in my life, I'm going to wake up every day and I'm going to practice. I I just love it. Um, I mean, I love my instrument. I love the sound of it. I love the feel of it. I love the mechanics behind it. I love it all. You know, the science of the trumpet has fascinated me and air has fascinated me. The breathing, I'm fascinated by it all. And then I love, you know, from from some of the great teachers I've had when it comes to trumpet and the great teachers I've had when it comes to jazz, uh, when I see young people struggling uh, with things that I struggled with or, or not struggling with things that I struggled with, struggle with other things, finding ways to share what my struggles were, but also finding ways to meet them where they are and to, to, to help them proceed uh, from where they are in their lives. Um, which is great for me. And then after doing so and after teaching these really talented students, it motivates me, you know, as they say, practice what you preach, then I want to go back and make sure I am, you know, working on things that, you know, I ask them to work on. And I am working on things that I go back in in my lesson books that I'd always keep journals from my lessons and go back and review some of those journals. And then, and I'll go into a lesson with my students now and say, hey, you know, I was reading through my notes and you know, here's something to think about. Here's a great exercise that was shown to me years ago by Lou Soloff. And I said, let me show you this exercise. This could help you where you are now. So, you know, it's 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 it's, it's very cyclical. You know, my, my teaching goes hand in hand with my playing. And then, you know, if I'm out on the road, you know, and I'm playing with an artist, you know, uh, last night at the opening of this festival, I played with the young pianist Christian Sands and his trio. And, you know, it was so refreshing to to step on stage and to play with just like a, a trio that was just, you know, they played as one. It was three as one, um, and it was amazing as a guest to come up and sit and play with them. It was like it was it was almost like sitting on a luxurious couch that you've sat in before, but it's actually your first time sitting on the couch. Um, it, it just felt so good, and it felt so at home, and it felt you just so so touching. And there's just so much spirit and soul behind it. Um, so. You know, experiences like that, I want to bring back to my students and say, hey, wow, you know, I played this trio and, you know, things went whatever direction I wanted them to go. And, and sometimes I went in directions they wanted me to go. And I said, that's what's really, that's what it's about. And, and what we have to do as artists is prepare for those moments, not, not prepare to be a star or to prepare for a successful quote unquote career, but prepare to be a musician that's flexible, that can, can move and can dance with the other people in the group and, and just make beautiful music. So take me back. It's going to come, you know, back to Bobby here. Mm-hmm. Tell me about how that opportunity came up. Was the opportunity he gave you and how that relationship and appreciation has grown over the years? So, yeah, so I was, I was working on completing my master's degree in classical trumpet. And I'd spoken to, um, you know, I was asking everybody, hey, I want to learn how to play jazz. 
It's a long story. I met Principal Trump of the Chicago Symphony, and he suggested I become well-rounded, you know. He said, it's great to play classical music, but, but learn everything because you just don't know what, what life is going to throw you. So I started to learn jazz, and I, was, I happened to be at a jam session, and uh, I was kind of studying for my comprehensive exams for, you know, to graduate from my degree program. And um, at this jam session, this guy gets up on stage and plays a solo that was just absolutely astounding. I was like, oh, my gosh, it's incredible. Um, so after he played, uh, I played, and then I went over to him and introduced myself. And, and he says, hey, man, I, you know, I, I like the way you play, and I, and I, I really you know, like you as a person. You, you seem really honest and, and really genuine. And, and so I thanked him, and he says, I'm, I'm playing with this pianist, McCoy Tyner, um, around the corner at a club called Blues Alley. Why don't you be my guest and come tomorrow? So I, I came out to the club. I met McCoy Tyner and his trio and heard Bobby and McCoy play and just changed my life in so many ways. McCoy was just so cool to me, you know, being like this person I'd read about and listening to records and like I'm, I'm actually talking to McCoy Tyner. And, um, and then Bobby, of course, was super warm. And then Bobby said, hey, next week, come to New York and uh, play some of my music. I, I may have a gig for you. And I did, and he hired me for this gig, and the gig went terrible. Um, and then a few weeks later after the gig, he says, hey, my trumpet player, Mount Mustafa, is leaving to go back with Count Basie. Would you join my group? I have a tour of the West Coast. And that's how it all began. And I got on this tour, and, uh, you know, there were some songs that we played that I could kind of hear my way through, but there were some songs that we played I, I just didn't understand them. So I would ask Bobby, hey, what do you play over this, and how do you think about this, and and the other guys in the group, I'd ask them questions, and they, they were so open to answering my questions. And that's how it began with Bobby, and he took me all around the world, and he introduced me to the world uh, of jazz. And through him, I met everyone else, from Jimmy Heath to Benny Wilson to, to Winton, to, the list goes on and on and on. So, you know, one of the big seminal moments in our lives is that very first show that we see. What was your mm -hmm. first live jazz show that blew you away, that either made you want to become a musician or just show you the power of jazz music? I was um, living in Downingtown, Pennsylvania, and this was, uh, this was a little bit before I, I met Bobby, but um, my, my dad bought me tickets. There's a, we're living in Downingtown, and the, the town next door to it was Westchester, and there's a university there, Westchester University. And uh, my dad got me tickets because he heard this guy by the name of John Fabis was coming to town. And um, and John is, of course, a trumpet player. I'm a trumpet player, and he took me to see the show. And John Faddis plays notes on the trumpet that I didn't even know existed. I was just like, oh, my God. This, I started to talk to my trumpet. I was like, why don't you do this for me? You give him all these extra notes, you know, but give me some of these notes. <laughs> but it was, it was astounding to, to listen to John Faddis play, and I came up and, you know, um, I didn't. You know, at the time I was super, super shy, so I, I don't. I don't even know if I said much to John at the time, but, but I was totally blown away, and I was incredibly inspired. You know, his control of the instrument, his his memory for 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 history, like he was recalling all this historical information about every piece that he played, and I thought that was pretty remarkable. Um, so that really blew me away. And then as a trumpet player, just hearing a trumpet played on that level was really, really mind-blowing. So of all of the musicians that are out right now, you've obviously played with what we would all consider legends and luminaries in the craft, and you've been around uh, quite a bit. 
Who's on your radar right now? Who would you love to see in the world of modern jazz live that you haven't caught live yet? That's a great, great question. Well, I know I haven't. I would love to see Esperanza live. I haven't heard her live, and her music really is inspiring. Um, that's a really good question. I'm not sure if I've seen a good amount of people, and I can't think about who I haven't seen live. Um, but I know there's some just young folks that um, have really, really touched me in a lot of ways, like Ambrose, Eck, Missouri, you know, Theo Coker, you know, um, so many, Keon Harrell. Um, there's there's so many great, great artists that uh, I don't get to see on a regular basis, um, but I'm just so proud that they're just taking the, the legacy of, of trumpet and the legacy of creation and improvisation to a whole new level. And I'd love, I'd love to see them and hear their recordings, but some of the ones I named, I would love to get to some of their shows and see them and, and support them as well. Maurice Hill. I've always, yeah, yeah, I've always heard that Cecile uh, um, McLaurin Savant is amazing. Have you seen her live? I have. She's amazing. She's, a, she's amazing. Samara Joy is really amazing. Um, yeah. Last night at the festival, I heard Liz Wright, who's amazing. Um, so yeah, so I, you know, thank God I've gotten to see a good amount of the artists, especially at some of the festivals, you know. And, and if you, you know, it's really funny. Uh, the jazz cruise, man, you, it's 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 unbelievable how many artists you go on the jazz cruise and you get to hear everyone from everywhere and hang out with them and meet folks that you you know normally don't get to see. And, and it's amazing just you saying that, the fact that that's back. Like, I, I, I am still in that world of being grateful that the festivals and all of these things, and you cats are talking about it because it was just gone for, for way too long. So it's yeah, wonderful. Yeah. And, and Terrell, I, I really appreciate you taking time out. And before we get out of this proverbial digital door here, I want to make sure that you – Tell me anything about this one night only April 16th show, how anybody can get involved, anything related to it. I would appreciate it. Yeah, April 16th, Rose Hall. Um, I think it's a 7.30 concert, maybe 8 o'clock concert. But, you know, here I look at it this way. You know, for those people who want to come out and support the future of jazz, then there are plenty of students on stage to support, um, no matter what genre you prefer, because the – the orchestra will be there. The jazz band will be there. Um, and then if, you know, in addition to hearing a, a great, great, you know, orchestra who will perform a piece, and, and, of course, Billy Childs wrote a piece and Bill Cullen wrote a piece, one of the students in the jazz band, a gentleman by the name of Banks Sapgar, wrote a piece for the jazz band, his very first piece, which is great. Um, we're going we're gonna to perform that as well. So it's going to be a music, uh, I mean, a night filled with music, uh, there's going to be a lot of, most of the, a couple of the pieces are Latin-inspired, which is really, really great. Um, other pieces are more modern, um, uh, you know, so it's just a night of, of, of beautiful music made by beautiful people for a beautiful cause, just to have the student, give the students an opportunity to, to play this music in New York. It's huge for them. They're so excited. They're like, oh my gosh, we get to play at Rose Hall, you know. So this is a huge thing for the students, huge things for our community in Hopefully a huge things for the listeners. Terrell, man, this has been wonderful. Thank you for taking time out. Best of luck with everything. Have a great night on April 16th, and we look forward to you coming back to KC for sure. Thanks so much. Hope to see you when I come back. 
Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in Philadelphia, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Terrell for his time, music, and story. If you want to hear more interviews, you can find Neon Jazz Archives at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe to us at YouTube, and for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.